Online communities, classroom culture, and personal relationships have something in common. Whether it's forming a strong emotional bond, feeling included and accepted, or having an attachment to others, feeling like we belong makes us happy. Ever wonder why? Join me, Dr. Eileen Winokur, for my bi-weekly podcast, Journeys to Belonging, as I discuss my personal and professional experiences with belonging and interview educators and others as they share their stories of belonging. At the end of every episode, I'll offer advice about how we can all feel like we belong. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Journeys to Belonging podcast. Today, I have with me a guest who I have been following for a while, but I reached out to him because uh, there were some posts that he made on Twitter uh, that really caught my eye about uh, equity, diversity, and uh, their relationship to creating a safe space and a sense of belonging in, in, in the space. Um, my guest has a lot of years of experience in education, but um, I'm not going to talk a lot. I'm going to have him talk. And so, Evan Whitehead, thank you for coming on my podcast today. Thanks for having me on, I appreciate it. Yeah. So I didn't really say too much about, about you. How about sharing a bit about what, what you're doing now and, and you know, sort of uh, the experience that you have and the things that you're really keen about? Sure. So um, this is my 23rd year in the field of education. Um, I've had multiple roles. I actually started out as a paraprofessional and a crisis interventionist at a therapeutic day school for special education students. Um, and I've hold, held roles as classroom teacher, um, also community outreach coordinator. Um, I've done a lot of work in terms of equity, diversity um, within school districts. Um, I've also been a classroom teacher for special education students at the high school level. Um, I've been a Dean of Discipline. Um, and then over the last 11 years, um, I've been in central office administration um, as a super assistant superintendent or director of special services. And then I also do consulting um, as well. Yeah, a vast amount and, and such interesting positions involving students who are more vulnerable, yeah. students who are at risk. And so, yeah, so I'm really interested to, to chat more about that as, as we uh, go along with our conversation. Sure. Yeah. The first question I always ask all my guests is, if I say the word belonging or sense of belonging to you, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Wow. Um, when I hear that word, the first thing I think about is um, safety, mm -hmm. um, being comfortable, um, to be yourself, be who you are, um, you know, that I think that's the biggest thing. And, and it starts, starts when, you know, early on, you know, in life and, and, you know, the, what people instill in you and the environments that you're, that you're surrounded in, because, you know, um, a lot of times we start putting on this, this, this mask, so to speak, to fit in. Um, and not being our true selves, sometimes for, you know, for various reasons, sometimes it's for, it's, you know, just to, just to kind of get along and, you know, feel good about ourselves. 
Other times it's for, it's for sure um, safety, right? And to make sure for survival. Um, and I think that's something that, you know, we all navigate at some point in time um, and where, whether it's, you know, physical safety, social, emotional um, safety, you know, um, you just try to try to find where our spot is. But I think that, you know, the thing about it is that adults um, have so much power and so much influence that we sometimes forget that, you know, um, language is powerful and the words that we speak and how we use them and when we use them um, in the in certain contexts um, to children in particular has an impact that, you know, affects them for the rest of their lives. Um, so I think that that whole piece of belonging is, is critical because it can, you know, if you have the self-awareness and you're, and you're self-assured and you have the, the type of self-esteem, you know, you can push yourselves to try different things, to experience new things, um, things where you may not feel as comfortable, but, you know, you may find yourself navigating that and being able to, to fit in and find a sense of belonging, um, you know, and I think that's very important. Yeah. Yeah. That, that whole idea of, of creating that safe space and that feeling of safety is really important. Um, sort of going to bridge that with my first question that I'm going to ask you, because as you mentioned uh, when we started, you have experience with students with special needs uh, and um, your own experiences um, with navigating uh, the uh, sort of the, the black and white spaces of society and the other students that you've dealt with in terms of Title I and so forth. So I'm really curious, as time went along or even back to the beginning, how did you find a way to create that safety? Because as a, as a, as a person of color or as, as, a, as a person with a disability or um, whether it's seen or unseen, it's very difficult to navigate that space because like you just said, you want to fit in, but fitting in isn't being your authentic self. So how do you sort of manage that? How did you used to? What kinds of things have you learned? I'm curious about your journey. Sure, sure. Well, um, you know, I kind of hit all of the all of the boxes, kind of checked them off in terms of not necessarily belonging early on. Um, you know, I obviously growing up being African-American, you know, here in the United States, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a suburban um, area so that the, the majority of the people around me did not look like me. Um, I did not have teachers that looked like me, um, you know, some classmates, you know, but, but for the most part, that wasn't the case. So from very early on, I knew that, um, you know, at least I was physically different, you know, even if cultural, I didn't really understand that. Um, and I think that, you know, having that piece, you know, at an early age and recognizing that, you know, it also makes you grow up pretty quickly in terms of understanding that. Um, there's a story that I often, you know, tell in terms of my journey of, of understanding, you know, uh, race relations and, and climate of culture here in the United States is that, you know, when I was about seven years old, I had a best friend um, who was white and um, our mothers worked together. And so we were, we were best friends, you know, we'd hang out, play, we played sports together, et cetera. Um, and then, you know, his parents were divorced. So he'd go visit his dad on the weekend, every other weekend. Well, 
after a weekend of visiting his dad, um, as he came back and he told me, um, you know, we can't be friends anymore. Um, my oh, dad wow. said, I can't, my dad said, I can't play with you because your dad is black. <laughs> right. So That's just, so yes, yeah, so right, right. Right. So, wow. so just, you know, rep I'll repeat that again is cause I think it's very, it's, it was a very profound moment wow. for me. He said that my dad said, I can't be friends with you and play with you anymore because your dad is black. So, you know, that, that really, made me think right because i'm confused i'm like well sure. obviously if my my dad's black i'm black too right yeah so so and i and i brought that to my dad my dad was infuriated when he heard that you know as he should be right you know sure. um you know and you know obviously his mother felt bad because you know that's her ex-husband so those weren't her beliefs but yeah. but you know my dad explaining that to me because i was like well i'm black if you're black, I'm black. And then my dad explained to me that that was his way of saying, you know, he didn't want to say it directly to me because I was a child, but just making those statements, right? But it still Already, had the same it, effect. Sa the same effect. And that, Actually, and that, and it was that's even worse. Because, worse. Yeah. Because yes. he wasn't so, so really that, honest about right? it. Oh my goodness. So that, so that, that really, you know, kind of helped shape me to understand the, yeah. you know, how, how cruel, right? you know, yeah. adults can be and how much power they have in influencing children because yeah. things like racism, right? Um, any type of like xenophobia, et cetera, it's all learned behavior, right? Sure. So, so, so just by that, so, you know, putting that into context, yeah. right? It, it, it carries a, it carries out of weight. And this is, you know, and this is to say that, you know, I'm, I've always lived in Illinois, Chicago area. So it's not as if I, I was in a place where you make, traditionally consider would have a lot of like overt racism mm -hmm. however that's that that's a lot of the story of the of the northern part of the united states is that it's not a lot of overt racism it's a lot of you know um underlying a lot of microaggression a lot of things that you wouldn't think about it but yeah because it that's the narrative right it's a narrative right yeah. it's a narrative so yeah. that was kind of my first sense of okay figure out belonging. The other part, the other thing that I checked the box is that like, you know, I knew that I learned differently, you know, um, you know, I, I knew that I, I always felt that I was smart. You know, I was, you know, younger, I was in, you know, gifted classes, programs, et cetera, that nature, but I was just different. Like, you know, I felt differently and it didn't, not until I got older as an adult, obviously I was, you know, diagnosed with a disability, an invisible disability, you know, but that feeling of different, like knowing that I thought different, right? The way that I um, did things were differently. It worked, but it was just different, you know, and kind of that whole sense of belonging, you know, I go back to another thought when I was younger is that, um, you know, I ended up having a math phobia for a very long time because of a teacher that I had in elementary school. Okay. Um, it was that really, you know, for me, the way that my mind processed and thought mathematics was just difficult because it was a very linear concept, yeah. right? And for me, doing a linear concept, but then also, you know, with the pressure, you know, of time under it, created a lot of early angst and anxiety for me, you know, when I was at a young age. So I remember distinctly of this teacher like hovering over me 
learning math tables, math facts, you know, exactly. um, and I couldn't get them right. And, and then time tests and just like her presence, the, the, the amount of pressure on me to do it in a time limit, along with the way that it was taught to me was very challenging. So I, I had a math phobia probably from, you know, early primary years all the way probably till, you know, I was maybe my second year of undergraduate. Um, and I just always thought, always thought I wasn't good at math. You know, math was not my subject. Well, it wasn't that it was the way that it was taught to me, but that was just another piece of like, you know, feeling different and Mm -hmm. feeling like something's wrong or like I did something wrong. So I think like that whole navigating that piece and kind of the world early on, you know, kind of brought me to the journey to figure out and be confident of who I am, you know, and I'm very thankful to my parents and my dad in particular for always like, you know, instilling, you know, knowledge of who I am, my history, my culture, you know, understanding, you know, a lot about just, you know, our history as African-Americans, you know, in the United States and, you know, what we've done, you know, it helped me to um, have that bit of, of confidence to know that I can still do things and belong and be my authentic self. Um, yeah. So I think that, that, that was very instilling. And then, you know, I, I always played athletics. So I think that that was another piece that taught me how to belong team concept, right? Understanding yeah. that people are different. We all have our own roles, but it takes everyone's individual strength to come together as a team to win. And, um, you know, I was very good. So it helped me kind of build that confidence and understand belonging. And then, you know, it just, it carried over. However, um, I think the biggest, the biggest part of my belonging journey, I would say was that um, I decided to um, study abroad during college on my undergrad. um, And I was out of the country, different language. And, um, first time I ever was out of the country and I, you know, and having to adapt and having to navigate that, you know, culturally, right. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though, you know, phenotypically and physically speaking where I was, they may have looked like me, but because the language and culture was so different, understand navigating that was probably the first time where I finally got it. Like ever, I was like almost all the lessons that I had younger <laughs> and all the things I learned kind of yeah. came into play because it was like, oh, this is really what it's like, right? For the first time, physically, I, I didn't, I, I looked like the majority of people, but culturally, right? And linguistically, right. I was still different. So, so it, was a, it was a very interesting time because, you know, for once I felt I, that was the first time I, I knew what it was like to be the majority, to, to, for everyone to look like me. Wherever I went, people looked like me. You know, they, they had similar, you know, uh, physical, you know, physical traits. And it was, it was different. And to experience that as an adult yeah. was, was very, very mind-opening. And it really changed a lot of my concepts. And it really also, you know, made me think about, you know, who I am in the context of me as an African-American versus me being a person of African descent in the world. And oh, that's it was fascinating. A, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, yeah, because, you know, um, so to, to do that, you know, um, it, was, it was just because, you know, I was, I was in the Caribbean, so I was in the Dominican Republic, okay. right? So obviously there's a similar history of slavery right from africa right right? very similar in terms of you know transatlantic you know Mm -hmm. passage but 
the differences where it stopped was language, right? So like there were things culturally that, that I understood and I got because obviously, you know, things from, from, you know, the continent of Africa and that we have similar, but then when it came to language, right, totally different, but, right. but then having to figure out, right, and navigate that, you know, and what that meant for me, like it totally opened my eyes to really understanding that, you know, at the end of the day, the concept that people see of me first and foremost is that I'm still an American, right? Whereas yes. like, right, I'm, I'm an American, which you can probably understand as well, right? Like, does it, it doesn't yeah. matter that I may look like someone from another country. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, you know, I'm seen as other people in the world as an American first. And the concept of like African-American is, it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense, right? Outside yes. the United States. And, and I, so that, that was, that was something that, that was really powerful to me. And I think um, once I, once I became, you know, got into my professional life, I was able to bring that experience with working with families and students, um, particularly families from different cultures, from different backgrounds, you know, um, working, you know, I was able to bring that concept because my whole idea had changed and expanded because, you know, I had a chance to experience life outside the United States. Yeah. Did you choose the Dominican Republic to as for on purpose? Was that yes. by design? Yes, it was by really? design. Right. It was by it was by design. I, I so for me, you know, I knew that I wanted to go somewhere that one had similar culture to me that I could relate in some in some okay. point. Because I knew the transition to understanding the language would be uh. easier than me being somewhere else where like I couldn't necessarily relate and see that I wanted that. So it was by design and it, and it did help. It it really did help. It really, and even, even small things, you know, um, in terms of just, um, I think, you know, language triggers of seeing people that reminded me of my family here in the United States. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, seeing people that could be my, my aunt, my uncle, my, my parents, my grandparents, right. right. And then speaking to me and being living in their household was, was familiar to me. Mm-hmm. And I think it helped in terms of me yeah. being able to acculturate and also be able to, you know, increase my proficiency with the language as well. Yeah. That's amazing that by that point, you really understood yourself so well. And because mm-hmm. um, most of my guests have talked about the fact that in order to really feel that sense of belonging with others and make, being able to make that connection, even for students, that we have to be okay and feel that uh, sense of belonging um, and self-awareness first uh, mm-hmm. to really have those valuable and, um, and deep connections that, that are meaningful for us and create those safe spaces. So I think it's so fascinating that by the time that you decided by college, when you decided to do that study abroad, you knew yourself well enough that you wanted to be able to make sure that that transition was okay. That's, mm-hmm. that's really wonderful. Yeah. Um, your current job involves, uh, uh, like you said, um, the main office in the, in the district, but you also connect and um, are sort of the connection between the families, I guess, and uh, government aid or, or yep. government programs and things like that. That's correct. Um, 
I'm interested in finding out a little bit more about that, but I also want to know in light of what's happening in the United States and actually mm -hmm. around the world in terms of the Black Lives Matter movement and the, the focus on diversity, equity, inclusion, has your role changed? Have, have you looked at your role differently now as a result? Um, no, I haven't actually. And I, and I would, yeah. uh, you know, as I said, this is all like for the past 11 years, you know, this has been my focus and one of the reasons why I wanted to get into, you know, central office, main office, district level, you know, leadership is because um, I wanted to be able to have to bring that perspective to the table. Right. Um, you know, and I've worked I've worked in various communities. I've worked in rural. I've worked in urban. I've worked in inner city. I've worked I've worked in suburban wealthy communities. And I think that, you know, it's always I've always been able to bring that perspective, and that voice um, in terms of that. And, you know, it's it's a little bit easier to do, at least to have a seat at the table when your position allows you to do that. Right. Yeah. Versus versus, you know, if you don't have that position, you know, you may your 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 thoughts, ideas may never even be heard. And mm -hmm. so I've always kind of pushed that. And I think that, yeah. you know, what I'm happy about is, is that everywhere I've been um, throughout my career, you know, that's kind of been my legacy. Right. So that so that this is so so to me, this has always been my life work. Right. This is like, you know, things of social justice, equity, diversity, you know, those things are not new to me. And even though they may be like in the forefront due to all the circumstances that are going on here in the United States and also the world. Right. You know, I, I'm, I'm happy and proud to say that, you know, um, I'm not jumping on the bandwagon, so to speak, about mm -hmm. this. You know, this is just something that I do. One, because obviously I care about others. And I want to be able to do that, but you know, because this is this is my life story, right? Yeah. If you know, I you know, I have to do this because I'm the one that had to do this for myself. I'm the one that has to do that. So if I can be that voice for others, you know, I really want to be able to do that. And I think that right now, I'm I'm struggling a little bit with um, with with balancing my ability to be supportive mm -hmm. of others without also being angry and i say this i use the term angry like in a, a little differently but i'm angry in the fact of like this is great that i'm happy that people are now there's more of an awareness around social justice equity diversity inclusion etc however I know that this is not like a fad, right? This is not trendy. And, you know, what I have seen, unfortunately, thus far, is that it's, it's, it's seen that way. It's appeared that way. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's, it's, you know, when it, when, you know, it was fashionable, so to speak, for people to speak to, to talk about these terms and do these things, there was a lot of movement. But then like, you know, when things die down, right? It's like every, like people forgot, like where was I, I was not seeing the amount of energy and focus on it. And then what happens just this week, 
right? We have another incident that happens here in the United States, which, which, which is only about 30 miles north of me. And I'm very familiar with that community. Um, and, you know, it's, and it's like, okay, well, just, this just goes to show this is not just a trend. This is, this is something that is deep. It continues to happen. And as much as, you know, one would think, wow, we just had this huge incident where, where a person was killed, right? Yes. For, for, and then this couldn't happen again. There's no way that this same group is going to even feel comfortable is even going to feel yes. comfortable to even think about yes. doing something like that, knowing that yes. there are there are video cameras everywhere, whether it's on. Yeah. I mean, the world is always watching some way there. Yes. Are, you know, one would think there's no way that people are going to even tempt or feel comfortable to think about. And what happens? It's almost as if every month mm-hmm. or two. So another incident happens that keeps repeating itself yeah. and it's the same cycle it goes from yeah. it goes from an incident happening right and then some yeah. civil unrest because people are fed up they're tired yes. they're frustrated because they feel the same thing and yeah. then you have a huge incident in a city and then okay the smoke clears you mm-hmm. know literally and figuratively yeah. And then, you know, people and it's out of the news cycle and it's out of the news cycle. Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, oh, it's 30 days, 45 days yes, again. And yes. it's back in the news cycle again. Yeah. And everyone keeps shaking their head and wondering why. Well, you know, this is it. This is why, you know, we need to have, you know, when I, I, I made a post the other day about, you know, um, stamina, mm-hmm. you know, consistency. Right. Mm, um, yeah. And and also in also being an, an, an authenticity. And that's what mm. I mean, because like we need we as a, as as humanity, we need all of those to take place. We need everybody yeah. to have the energy to keep to, to, to keep pushing. You know, yeah. it's tiring. You know, yes, I get it. I mean, you know, if yeah. it's tiring for someone who is just, you know, understanding and learning this imagine what it's like being a person of color in the United States, being a person who's, who's marginalized in the world, right? For yes. various reasons, because of religious, religious values, because yes. of the language you speak of your culture. Imagine yeah. what it's like living their life, you know, and then, and then being a parent or a grandparent. So if it's tiring, like to do it for maybe a year, imagine having to go through that your entire life. So that's, so yeah. that's why that's for me is what I'm, what, what I'm, my, my concern is that, you know, I, I, I love the awareness. I love what I was seeing. I like the idea that there were book studies going on and there were chats and there were, and there were people were, were recommending books and that was great. But like, you know, once that's over, right. How yeah. can we then put that into action? Because that's what's needed. If yeah. you want, you know, right now, people don't people do not feel like they belong you know they do not feel like they're wanted here in the united states yes that's the problem right yes you're you're so right yes (laughs) like like they don't like they like we know we don't feel as though that we have value you know and that's and that's the thing it's like it does, I don't, you know, and this is... And you shouldn't, you shouldn't feel that way. You know, I no. grew up in, in the 1960s, but I mm-hmm. remember oh. exactly all of that going on. My dad was the head of uh, the employment service for the state of New York in the Western mm. New York area. 
And, uh, you know, he fought for equal rights and equal jobs and opportunities and training and all of that. Um, they were part of the, you know, members of the NAACP and the Urban mm -hmm. League. But, uh, and then after, you know, this, the civil rights movement was <laughs> over, things went quiet and we thought, oh gosh, you know, we've made so much progress. And to be here right now is, is you know, is, is mind boggling. But, you know, I, I think it's really interesting because you, you mentioned before you have a position at the table where you are in your job, and that's how you're advocating. That's how you're mm -hmm. able to make your voice known. How can we get, because it's the systems, we know it's the systems, how can we get more voices that matter, that, that understand the same way you do, maybe not having lived even the same life experiences, but people who really want to advocate, how can we make more people, how, how can we have more people sitting at the table like yourself? Sure. Because I think that's what we're missing. If we don't have yeah. those voices at the proper places, then things are just going to continue, you know, recycling and we can't have that anymore. No, we can't, we can't. And I think that's, you know, so first and foremost for, those that are like me, you know, mm -hmm. who are there, you know, um, we need to be able to understand our position, our opportunities, but to still be able to reach back, right? Yeah. We can't be comfortable with just having our position and to mm -hmm. see the table. We have to also make sure that we don't close the door for others to be able to get in there. We yeah. have the ability to now create, right? especially within schools, we can create committees, we can create leadership opportunities, like so that you don't have to be an administrator at a district level to be part of something, to make a change, to be a leader. You know, so to me, I've always very, very specific about determining the difference between leadership and management, right? And, right. oh, yes. and like, yes. like, right? Because, yes. you know, we often equate like a title in a role with leadership and think that, oh, an administrator is the only person that can be a leader. Well, that's not true, right? No. Leaders, can, leaders can lead from wherever they're sitting, but mm -hmm. I think it's up to us, um, meaning those of us that are in those roles to make sure we have opportunity to do that. So always being mindful of who's in your building, who's in your organization, who has demonstrated that they're willing to do some little things like being self-aware, willing to take risks, willing to speak up are we are we looking to say well they're always stir like causing trouble and they're a headache or are we saying wow maybe we should think about how can we then bring that person to the table because what they're doing and what they're saying does have merit and value so let's bring them to the table and let's talk about it we have control of that we have control in terms of who do we want to be a part of a strategic planning committee. Right. We have the we have the ability to determine, you know, who's sitting at the table. What does that look like? Is it diverse? Making sure that that it's represented, regardless of of you know color, race, ethnicity, gender, religion. Like, are we having all those voices at the table? Because we all have our blind spots, right? Yep. And yep. you know, for me, yes, I may be you know a, a man of color you know, categorized, recognized as African-American man in the United States, but I still have blinders on things that I don't know because I'm not part of. I may see from afar 
and I may be able to understand if someone tells me, but I can't necessarily be at that table speaking to that all the time because I just may miss it. So we have to be able to do that and bring folks to the table that, that can do that. Yeah. Um, and, and that's and a bottom line that. for diversity, right? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. That's yes. the whole so reason for diversity is to have those diverse voices and be able to come up with something better. You know, yes. it's frustrating to hear from teachers whose lives are being determined by people who are not listening to them and, and having, you know, being able to say to them, there must be some way for you to have a voice. Yes. Yes. Um, It's, it's, it's so frustrating. Yes. Well, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of my, of my school district. I've been, this is my sixth year here um, in my role and, and, um, you know, the superintendent and I came in about a month apart, you know, I came in a month after she did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really, we focus on building culture and climate, you know, and truly doing that. And that's, and that's the hard work, right? That's, that's when you roll up your sleeves, because, you know, when you come into an organization, right, there is history, whether, whether good or bad, <laughs> malintent or not, there's, there's history. And oh, yeah. some of that history, you have to honor, Mm-hmm. Because you have to be able to navigate that to right. be able to understand the context of what's going on and understand the difference between need and readiness, right? So oftentimes yeah. leaders come in and they see a need, but they but the level of readiness is not there. So they yeah. push too much and then things don't work, right? And right. Then, mm-hmm. then then they don't work out. So I'm you know, I'm very happy to say that that, you know we started this journey together and, and we really wanted to do that and um, making sure that we want to find a way that we can bring everyone together. So, right. Traditionally, there's always a divide between, between administration and, and teachers in terms of labor. Right. So mm-hmm. what are the first thing we, we really wanted to make sure we can break down that barrier and break down that wall. And we started working very closely with our, um, with our teachers union presidents, Right. And having conversations mm-hmm. and dialogues and what can yeah. we do and things very small, like socially. Right. Starting to say, hey, we're both humans. We're all humans. We're, we still have lives. We're you know, we're still parents. We're still, you know, spouses like and educators that, interested and edu- in the, you know, in yes. the benefit of the students, the achievement 100%, of the students. One hundred percent. And that's the bottom line. So I feel so we did that. And yeah. building that relationship, right? So now we start the way that we do business now is we always incorporate, right? We are yeah. on our leadership team at the on our district leadership team. We have union our union co presidents. Mm-hmm. We have another union member for our teachers union. We have another the the, the other co presidents of our um, of our uh, of our other staff, our related service staff, such as our you know. Um, secretaries, paraprofessionals, et cetera. Yeah. Um, they're, they're also there. Then we have, you know, our building administration and our district administration on our leadership team, right? So at that time, it's a true professional learning community in which it doesn't matter what your title is when you're on that team, mm-hmm. right? right? We're all right. there about the benefit of the children and how can we right. bring all those diverse experiences, ideas to the table to move the district in the right direction. And that's what, that's what it's about. That, that's, that truly is bringing people together and making feel, making people feel safe, comfortable, right. To have conversations because in the beginning, 
you know, it's hard, right? Imagine you're a teacher and you're sitting at the table with the superintendent or the principal. Yeah, right? you're, not, you're, you're not feeling and, like you and, should right? say anything because you know, your right? job's on the line. Yeah, you right? have to exactly. create that culture, that, you, that, you do. that safe space, right? You do. You do. And that's, and, and, and that's like how to bring that into making feel like people belong in the school setting, in your yeah. organization, right? Yes. That's part of it because you want them to feel like, you know what? Yes, your opinion is valued, right? Your ideas are valued. We want you to feel like this is a place where you can say what you need to say without feeling that there's going to be, you know, something's going to come back on you because mm -hmm. of what you said, right? right? It's not a gotcha. It truly right. is about that. And that's, and that's making feel people that they're yeah. comfortable or safe and they truly do belong yeah. in an organization their, and yeah. their opinions are heard. Yeah, and that you may not even, you know, get what you want all the time, but it, you're there to, you know, constant back, back and forth. And, Definitely. and your, your opinion is valued and, you know, sometimes you get it and, and sometimes you don't, but that's, that's okay. We still respect you and value you. So um, I, I'm cognizant of the time, but I really wanted to ask you about the balance, boundaries, and sure. breaks. Tell me a little sure. bit about that. Sure. So, um, you know, as educators, we go through a lot, mm -hmm. right? And and I think this is probably the first time that I can remember in my living years on the earth and probably one of the few times in our profession in which um, the curtains kind of pulled back and people are being able to see the lives of educators for truly what they are yeah. and what and what we go through True. and how much, how much of our lives we dedicate mm -hmm. to this profession. Right? How much of our, how much of, how much time we put into, you know, other children, right? Mm -hmm. And that, you know, a lot of us are, are, you know, pseudo parents, right? To hundreds of children, mm -hmm. right? Every year. And over our career, we end up being, you know, that, that, that parental figure, right? That adult in the life of children for mm -hmm. thousands by the time that, that, that we leave the profession for thousands. And, um, you know, as noble as our profession is, I think that, um, you know, we as educators often forget about ourselves, you know, and, True. and that's, you know, and the balance boundaries and breaks came out of actually my own personal experience is that, you know, I, I had come to a point where everything in my life kind of came out ahead, right, in terms of, physical, social, emotional, mental. Um, mm -hmm. And I was, and I, and I kind of just, you know, hit a, hit a point where, you know, um, you know, it was pretty bad. It was challenging for me. Oh, and wow. through my healing, um, you know, the balance boundaries and breaks came, came to me as I was, as I was healing, as I was going through, um, you know, various modes of self-healing, of therapy, et cetera. The, those three themes kept coming up about, me and myself. And so the first one is balance is, is that I, as I look back on my life and I look back on my career, mm -hmm. right. I was always struggling with balance and it was hard for me. And it was really about, you know, balancing, you know, my time, my energy and efforts, you know, but mm -hmm. what I was putting my time, energy and efforts to, right. I was giving so much to things that, that, that weren't being reciprocated but I was doing it anyway, right? And I started, you know, making stories up and telling myself, well, you know what, I'm doing it because I'm a good person, 
right? And even if I don't get it back, it's okay because I'm a good person. It'll come back at some point in time. But I started doing that. And whether it was professionally or was it personally, I was helping people out, getting, you know, doing things. I was always doing because because that's just me as a person who I am. And I think as as educators, you know, we're often givers, right? We're helpers, we're fixers. So we want to do that. And then our profession, right, even more so says, yes, you're going to get a pat on the back because you decide to help out. You decided to stay late today. You decided to work on the weekends. You decide to come in on your, to, to do things on your summers. You decide to, great, good for you, pat on the back, right? Great. But then, you know, we never really ask you know, each other in our profession, how are we doing, right? Mm -hmm. It was always like, that's great. Who can, who can come in the earliest? Who can stay the longest? Who can do the most work? Who can use their own money to buy school supplies for their students, right? That's fine. That's great. I get it, but we kind of forgot that. So that's kind of the balance where it came in. And, and it was personally me because I wasn't, I wasn't good at that, right? I have my own family, you know, I have a wife, I have, you know, things of that nature, but I was always giving a lot to other things and other people, but not enough to myself. So that's the balance. The boundaries um, came in because just like, as I was saying before with the balance, I wasn't giving myself permission to say no. I would feel bad about saying no, right? If in my profession, if someone wanted, wanted you, hey, Evan, do you wanna stay and work on this project? Yes. Um, can you help out this particular student? Yes. Can you, can you work with this family? They're having some challenges, right? They just moved into the district. Can you help out? Yes. Oh, we need, we, we have a growing demographic and it's changing. It's African-American families. Do you mind starting a committee and work with them? Yes. We have a Latino population. Yes. You know, it was always something that I was saying yes to. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, it would be the same thing in my, in my, in my personal life. You know, my children played athletics and activities, right? Well, the coach wouldn't show up. Who do you think the first one is to, to volunteer and take oh over the practice gosh, was? Yeah. Because, because, because I felt bad. Yes. Because as just like in my profession, it's not the children's fault if the adult makes a mistake. So mm -hmm. I'd step in. And before you know it, I'm next thing you know, I'm the coach <laughs> for the rest of the season. Right. Yeah. That's and, so right? familiar. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You yes. know, and, 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 and yes. so it was a pattern in my life that like I wasn't giving myself permission to say no. Yeah. I would feel guilty, right? Yeah. Um, you hadn't even recognized that you were saying yes no. all the time. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. the and, problem is, you know, yep. it's like don't let me raise my hand anymore. Yep. Yep, and that and that was just so that that's where the yeah. that's where the boundaries came in and really about, you know, you know, being able to say no, giving yourself permission to say no and yeah. adhering to those boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. You know, because we always are like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I want to, you know, cross anyone else's boundaries. I want to be safe around that. But you know what? Who's going to be the advocate for for us, right? More times than not, people are not going to say, oh, you know what? I shouldn't ask you. That's too much, right? I don't want to ask you, right? As you said, if you once you volunteer to do something, until you stop, people aren't going to say you're taking on too much. Don't do it. Don't worry about it. No, so because they be, figure you're okay with that. You're okay, right? Yes. And, be, and 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 we yeah. do that, especially in, in education, because we put that mask on. Mm -hmm. 
right? Yes. And then, then we start having, having this martyr complex, mm -hmm. right? That we can save the world. We're going to yeah. put ourselves online before or anybody that nobody's else. appreciating Nobody's us. appreciating it. Yep. But we don't realize that, that we haven't given them a chance to just say, okay, I need to step back because really you're, you're, no, you're, you've, that, you're doing so much already. 100%. And then, um, you know, the last one is, is, is breaks. And, um, you know, I didn't take breaks. I, I looked at my life that I was always had kind of a chip on my shoulder that I wanted to prove something. Right. So I always wanted to do better than the next person or be twice as good. Right. And then some of that is from a cultural aspect. Um, because, you know, obviously, as we talked earlier about the con, the con, the context of being a person of color in the United States of making sure that you had to be almost perfect yes. so that people couldn't hold anything against you. Right. Yeah, so right. that is something that is, that is passed down in a conversation, you know, to, to children. And as they become adolescents from their, from their elders about doing mm -hmm. that, which is another added pressure, right. As you know, as speaking of like mental health, another pressure mm -hmm. of adulting, that a child shouldn't have to think about, but they have to. So I saw that I was, I, I realized that as I reflected, as I was going through healing, that I was always trying to do more. I was always trying to pay catch up. Like I, I, um, I was kind of late in terms of, you know, speaking in terms of finishing my undergrad degree. So what did I do once I went back to school? I front loaded so much and tried to finish and try to do more. Even one semester I had, the equivalent of one full school year. I took 24 credit hours in one semester. Oh my goodness. And, oh, and wow. still, and still had a 3.0. That's mm -hmm. how much those Incredible. are the things I was doing. Right. Yes. But I, but I was just pushing through. I was just pushing through. Yes. Was I looking out for myself? Was that a good move? Probably not. And then when I got, but then professionally, I felt now I got to catch up with all my peers because my peers had already been working in my profession. So now I got to catch up which meant I went from, as I told you, from a paraprofessional to classroom teacher to yeah. moving forward. I mean, I became, I became a, an assistant superintendent at 34 years old. Incredible. So, wow. so you know. But, but you pushed yourself to be pushed, at that point. Yes, yes but I yes, pushed myself. Yeah. So what happened And it was, sounds like it eventually took its toll it, on you. It, it, it did. And so like for me, this is why my message, I want to spread my message through much of my three B's. And that's why I say, you know, it's, it's, I, it's a double entendre because it's the three B's are fab for balance boundaries and breaks, but also comes back to allowing yourself to just be right. We're moving so fast in the world. Right. Yes. And, and, it, and we never allow ourselves to just pause and to breathe. And, you know, for me, I'm a mindfulness practitioner. And a lot of, and my three B's is rooted in mindfulness, is yes. that the allowing yourself to be self-aware, right? To know, to, to be aware of being aware, but also taking time to just breathe in life and pause. And, and it's interesting because um, with the global pandemic, it brought on everything that we all asked for. Maybe not the way that we wanted it, but we all asked for, right? We all asked for, I wish I had more hours in the day. I wish I had more time to spend with my family, right? I wish I, wish I was able to 
start a hobby that I always wanted to start. I wish I had time to, to do something I used to do and start it again, but I haven't had time. All these things that we ask for, we always ask for. And when we got it, right? Because we got our pause. Yes, right? we did. We got our pause. Yes. But, but, but when we got it, you know, a lot of us didn't know what to do with it. It's right? true. We were, we were more concerned about what we couldn't do yes. than seeing the opportunity that life had yeah. provided to us. And, you know, during the pandemic, there were two choices. People were either surviving or they were going to strive. Yeah. Right. And I, and I speak that as the pandemic, it's over. It's not over, but it's not as, as it was when it first started. But the reality well, is- Well, we've when, begun when, to adjust to it, I think. We have. Most we have. of us have. Not all right? of us, but many right? of us have, yeah. You know, we have. And, and now that we have, like, during that time, what, what were we able to do? What did we do during that time when we were on quarantine and we were on lockdown, right? Did we, did we take that time to get, our, to get to know our families better, spend time with our children? get to get, you know, really do that? Did we, did we take the time to try to work on our self-care, right? Mm -hmm. On our own wellness and our well-being? Yeah. Did we do that, you know? Did we take time to, you know, begin to really relax and see everything that we have in store for us? Mm -hmm. Or and just be present. Just be present, right? Yes. Or were we, were we more concerned about the fact that, I can't go to my favorite restaurant or my store or I can't buy or I can't be a consumer, right? That and that and that was a lot of it. So I just, you know, I say that all because for my three B's is really about that educator's self-care and well-being, but not just for educators, for everyone. I mean, ever since I've been talking about my balance boundaries and breaks, I've had people from all walks of life. I bet. Talk about it and say how it resonates with them because, you know, it's true. It's, it's very simple, but it's those things that I think that, you know, if we don't adhere to them, right. It's, you know, like it can, it can, it can really be bad. And I just, I, so I share my story as a cautionary tale, you know, to, to hope that I inspire people, encourage people as well, because I would never want anyone to be in the same situation that I was. You know, although I've made it through my storm and I'm, right. and I'm here to tell about it, I would never want anyone to experience what I did so they can have a story to tell. That's never the way. I'd, I'd rather see prevention yes. than an intervention in terms of your yeah. self-care and your wellness, because there are so many things we can do, you know, on our own to make sure our physical health is in place, our mental health, our well-being is there. We have more control than we think that we do yes, at times. Yeah. Yes, and and do. I think and I think that being able to do that and recognize that is so critical. So that that that's that's really why you know I talk about my three B's and anytime I can share, I'm so willing to speak about them. Yeah, that's that's so wonderful. Yeah. And actually it speaks to the whole idea of mindfulness. It's sort of when you when you break it down, the balance boundaries and breaks really get you to focus on that uh, on your on your being able to be present and, and be mindful. So you've given us so much advice already. Are, are, is there anything else that you wanted to add that, that we didn't get a chance to talk no, about? No, no, you know what? Um, I, you know, I'm, you know, I'm right now, you know, it's, it's, as things are going on, I'm, 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 I'm doing a lot of different projects. I'm working on some things um, with some other folks internationally. We're 
doing some some work in the area of um, you know educator self-care and wellness so we're working on a project right now um, I'm very excited about that so that'll be coming out soon um, I'm that also exciting. I'm also doing some work um, with uh, with a gentleman Eric Houston who founded um, we're all a little crazy in the global mental health movement same here and he and I have partnered up and we we're actually doing some uh, doing some shows right now that are premiering on Beluga, the education network. And the name of our our program is uh, Hear Us Out. So he and I are talking about a little bit of everything from um, from race, social justice, mental health. Um, so Eric's a great guy. And and it's it's very interesting because, you know, we're a great team because when you look at us physically, you would think that we'd have nothing in common. How could these two guys even talk about things? But that's what's great about our partnership and our relationship is that, um, you know, when you hear us talk and you hear our sessions and our, and you watch our, our, our program, you really see that we're a lot more alike than we are different. And we share so many things. And that's kind of our hope that people, when watching it, they can see that. And when young people are watching, when educators are seeing that, that we have the opportunity to, to demonstrate that we're a lot more the same than we are different, how we can really come together um, as one. So that's that that's a that's a project I have got, got going on. And then first and last is that um, I'm currently writing the uh, the Balanced Boundaries and Breaks book. Um, so oh, hopefully wow. that'll, yeah, so hopefully, hopefully that, that, that'll be out, um, sometime within the next, within the next year. Um, but yeah, that's, that's another project that I'm doing now as well. I think that, uh, you know, after getting, you know, such a response and, and people are kind of wanting a little bit more, I want yeah. to really share more in depth in terms of, you know, my story of how I kind of got to my three B's and then also components of that, um, of my three B's and includes a lot of the self-care and wellness tips for educators. That's wonderful. Well, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing that when it's out. So, Thank so you. Evan, this has been wonderful. How can um, our listeners find you? I'll also include it in the show notes, but I like sure. um, for you to point out where's the best place for, to find you. Sure. You know, I guess my, my social media home and the best place to find me is on Twitter. And you can find me um, at Evan Whitehead, E-V-A-N-W-H-I-T-E-H-E-A-D. Zero zero. It's all together at Evan Whitehead zero zero. And um, please go ahead, follow me. I always follow back. Um, feel free to shoot me a direct message. You know, I'm always open to talk with folks and you know have a conversation, collaborate, whatever whatever it is. Um, even just if you know you just want to need me as a sounding board, want to ask me some questions, I'm open for it because um, you know. Twitter's a fabulous thing. Obviously, you and I met, you know, through Twitter. Um, yes. I'm, I, I'm, I'm very, I'm relatively new to Twitter. I would say I'm coming up on a, it'll be a year in October, and oh, wow. yeah. just the the number of people that I've met globally, right, in it, in my in my professional learning network, has expanded, and all the great people that I would have never had a chance to meet that did not know that were out there that have yeah. similar interests that are supportive, and I think that, um, you know, if you know, definitely Twitter was one of the things that, that, that kept me going during the, you know, the, the, the start of the pandemic, right. Staying connected with people. And there were so many great ideas and there's so many wonderful people. And, and I would say overall, it's such a, the, the, the edu Twitter space is such a positive social media space, you know, Um, you know, obviously nothing's perfect every now and then, you know, whenever there's people that jump in, but for the most people that get involved in the edge of Twitter space are there for the same reason. It's all about how can we impact the lives of children for the betterment 
across the world and, and from, a, from an educational perspective. So I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong or there's anything negative about getting on Twitter, especially in the, in, in the education space, because, you know, you can definitely meet so many great people and make connections and, and improve your life as an educator. Definitely so. Yeah. Well, I know it's been my lifeline, especially being here all the way in Kuwait. So mm-hmm. it's, it's been really, really wonderful. Evan, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for being on my episode and on my podcast today. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Peace and blessings. Thank you. Be sure to subscribe to my podcast, Journeys to Belonging. Um, And the next episode will be out in two weeks. In the meantime, you can connect with me on Twitter at Eileen Winokur, I-L-E-N-E-W-I-N-O-K-U-R, or on Instagram at Eileen underscore W. And you can also find my blog uh, at the website https colon forward slash forward slash cultures dot build see you in two weeks